The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. Go with me to Mark chapter 5. And I promise you, if you're new here, I'm not going to make you stand up the entire message. But just in honor of the reading of the Word of God. I'm going to preach a message entitled, The Devil's Ploy, The Lord's Power, and The Believer's Purpose. The devil's ploy, the Lord's power, and the believer's purpose. Mark chapter 5, we're going to be beginning to read there in verse 1. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. This is Jesus and the disciples. It says that they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. When Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. This is one of the saddest verses in all of the Bible. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. And now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. And so he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Verse 14. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and they saw a demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed, who had been possessed with the demons, begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. This is the word of the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are greater than any power or principality that comes against us. Thank you, Father, that you are able to transform lives, that you are able to deliver Thank you that you redeem even the most broken. 
Father, I pray that if there's one here that doesn't know you today, that their heart would be just moved by your word. That your Holy Spirit would begin to cultivate their heart. And that, Father, that they would not walk out the same way of this place that they walked in. Oh, Lord, how we love you. How we love you. Let us be doers of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. When we become born-again Christians, we are not called to become spiritual hermits, losing all connection with the world. As a matter of fact, Jesus prayed in his priestly prayer found in John chapter 17. He's praying for his disciples, and ultimately he's praying for us as well. And he says, Father, I don't want you to take them out of the world. I want you to leave them here I want you to set them apart. They have a purpose. They have a plan. They're they're not of the world, but I want them to stay in the world. And you and I, friends, those of us who are in Christ, we are in the world. This is our mission field, but we are not of the world. We are to use, listen to me, our gifts and our hobbies, our influence to reach a lost and dying world with the gospel. And hear me very clearly, this means that we are to be willing to rub shoulders with those who are far from God with the aim of bringing the light of Christ into their darkness. One of the reasons I love the Christian Motorcycle Association and missionaries like David and Brenda is because that they are willing to do this very thing. They intentionally are running to those who desperately need the Lord, and that is no easy feat. And I actually, believe it or not, know this firsthand. I know how difficult it is to go into a biker hangout. I know you're looking at me and going, no, you don't. Yes, I do. And I try to lead people, uh, you know, to the Lord through the gospel of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, in Lexington, when I was pastoring there, we had our own little motor, we like to call it a motorcycle club. It made us feel tough, you know, and uh, I, I need all the help I can get with feeling tough. So we had a motorcycle, you know, club there at the church, and we would often after service go on some rides and things. It was pretty fun, and, but we would do some ministry, and uh, it was very, very difficult. I had a, uh, you, you bikers will appreciate this, so I had a uh, uh, a Suzuki Volusia. How many know? All right, a couple of you. So it was an 800. So it wasn't a huge bike, but it looked bigger than that. And so I felt kind of manly on that. You know what I mean? And uh, so here's what I did. I tried to trick everybody. I took all the emblems off. I put Cobra straight pipes on it, took the baffles out so it gets that real nice, loud sound, right? And, and I loved my bike. And my pastor liked it so much that he bought one just like it until... He was happy with it until he pulls up to a stoplight one day next to some other bikers, and they're on Harleys. And this big dude in the front looks at him at the stoplight and says, hey, man. My pastor said, what's up? He said, I like your bike. And, I mean, my pastor's feeling good. He says, oh, man, thanks. I just got this. And the guy says, my sister has one just like it. No joke, my pastor was so moved by that, so humiliated, he drove to the Harley shop and brought him a brand new Screaming Eagle, all right? 
So I, we, we had a lot of fun with that, but I remember the challenge of going on rides with other, maybe some rougher biker groups. It wasn't tough to be rougher than us, but we, we went with some rough people, and I remember trying to have the boldness to share the gospel and how difficult that was. And I love what you're saying, brother, about building relationships with people. I so believe in relational evangelism. It's incredible. I want you to know this. We are all called to spread the gospel. Not all of us are called to be motorcycle missionaries, praise the Lord. But we're all called to reach people within our circle of influence. That's every one of our jobs. It's not just the job of the pastor, not just the job of the missionary. That's the job of every single one of us. And so as I unpack this text, we will be reminded of the helplessness and the pain of those who are without Christ. And I hope, church, that we again are motivated more than ever to reach those men and women who are far from the Lord with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to break this text down quickly into three points. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. We're going to begin by looking at the devil's ploy or his tactics. The devil's ploy. You know, some people have a very unhealthy interest in the devil. You know anybody like that? I mean, every time there's a case of the sniffles, devil, I rebuke you. They give him way too much credit. Somebody get your, your uh, parking space at the mall. Devil, I rebuke you. The devil's after me today. I don't know if he is so concerned with your parking space or not. On the other hand, there are those who rarely think about the enemy, about demonic activity. And I don't believe this is helpful either. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul, Paul, writing the church at Corinth, pens these words. He says, anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I've forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. Now watch this. So that we would not be outwitted by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his designs. Friends, we have a real adversary. We have a real enemy and we need to understand his tactics and be able to recognize his plans. And in Mark chapter 5, we see a really clear picture of one of his ploys in the case of this man who was possessed with a legion of demons. By the way, a Roman legion was about 6,000 men. This man was messed up, to say the least. This poor Man is tormented, ostracized, cut off from society, living amongst the tombs. And the Bible tells us he was crying out, cutting himself night and day. How sad. Which brings us to the question, why would Satan be so concerned with messing up this man's life? Who was he? Was he this important leader in the community? I mean, why mess with him? Let me give you just a little bit of theology this morning. Understand this. Satan hates God. All right? Satan hates God, and yet he knows this. He can never overtake the Lord. Satan knows he is a defeated foe. So one of his aims is to destroy or deface anything that reflects the glory of God. And you can go back to the book of Genesis, the very beginning, and see that you and I, the human race, we are made in the image of God. And so the devil's aim 
is to deface, to destroy. That's why he messed with Adam and Eve in the garden. It wasn't so much them. It was that they were made in the image of God. And the devil wants to deface them to mess up that image. Now, this example is a particularly severe case of Satan's work. We don't know many people who are possessed with a legion of demons. But as one commentator points out, all evil that takes place on our planet, whether directly or indirectly, can be tied back to the devil. For every act of sin is possible only because he introduced wickedness into creation by rebelling against our creator. All right? So the devil knows, listen to me, don't miss this, that he cannot defeat God, so he's attempting to do the next best thing to mar those who are made in his image. All right? Now, the good news is this, that the enemy can throw his worst shot at us, but for those who are in Christ, the enemy cannot overtake us. He cannot snatch us from the hand of the Lord. And there is coming a day when God will put Satan finally and completely under our feet. Amen? I want you to consider with me the state of this man for just a moment. Look again at the second part of verse 3. It says, no one could bind him anymore. Not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart. And he broke the shackles in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Under this demonic power, he had this incredible strength on the outside. And the people were so freaked out by him, this broken man, that they just put him away and tried to bind him. And again, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always, always crying out day and night, cutting himself with stones. I want you to hear me. I want to point out something. Even when this man broke free of the physical chains that were binding him, he still possessed an internal spiritual brokenness. And I point that out for a reason because many of you, even in here today, most of us have become really good about making the outside look okay, about dealing with the out external chains. But we're also really good at hiding an internal brokenness. And I've watched through the years of ministry, and I know from my own life, at times I've looked really strong on the outside, but on the inside I was crying out night and day. And maybe that's you here today. Maybe you look good this morning coming to church like you have your stuff together. But maybe on the inside you are ready to break and apart from Christ that is actually true for every one of us Romans 6 Paul writes we know that our old self was crucified with Jesus in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing now watch this so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin see before Jesus Christ you and I we have a problem and it's called sin and we are slaves to it we can't do anything about it and because of that sin we are under the wrath of God and that's not a good place to be we're separated from God and our purpose and every one of us every one of us are sinners who fall short of the glory of God 
So before we are in Christ, we have, it, it may not come about like this man where we are possessed with legions of demons, but we all have a brokenness. We all have this God-shaped hole in our hearts that the world cannot satisfy. There's an emptiness apart from Christ that exists in every one of us. And that internal brokenness is caused by sin. But there's really good news. There's a remedy. And that remedy has come through the death and the burial and the resurrection, the substitutionary work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so the second thing I want to look at is the Lord's power. The Lord's power. Look at verse 6. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Now this is this spirit speaking through him. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we're many. And he begged him not to send him out of the country. And then we know that uh, this man is then delivered from these demons. And here's what I want you to see, that Satan's greatest schemes, I mean, this is severe, right? Satan's greatest schemes, I want you to hear me, they are no match for our Lord. So your life may be twisted and upside down, and you say, I don't know, man, I mean, this may have worked for him, but I don't know about my situation. And I believe we have these extreme situations in the Bible to show you that you are not outside of God's reach. That your situation is not too great for God. We serve an all-powerful God. In Mark chapter 4 and 5, I, I believe that Mark is wanting us to see what we call the deity of Christ. He is all-powerful. Do you believe that? If we back up just a bit to the end of Mark chapter 4, we find a very familiar passage of Scripture. This is where the disciples and Jesus are on the Sea of Galilee. They're in a boat. Jesus is taking a nap. And the disciples start to freak out a little bit because the winds start uh, blowing uh, just crazy. And the, the waves are beating vehemently up against the boat. Water is pouring into the boat. And the disciples, here's Jesus on the boat with them. They're scared for their lives. They don't realize the power that's in the boat with them. And they go, I can just imagine them shaking Jesus, you know, screaming like little 12-year-old girls. You know, Jesus, we're going to die. We're going to die. And he just gets up and calmly he speaks. And the winds and the waves stop. Peace comes upon the water. And so we see from this passage that Jesus has power over the natural realm. And then we move to chapter 5 in our text today, and we see that he has the power over the supernatural realm. We serve an all-powerful God. And if that were not enough, if you keep reading in chapter 5, you'll find a story about a, a, a woman with an issue of blood. She was sick for 12 years. It spent all that she had on doctors trying to get the help she needed. But as the multitude pressed against Jesus, this woman made her way to Christ, reaches up and touches the hem of his garment, and she was immediately healed, showing that Jesus also has power over sickness. And then if that were not enough, 
You keep reading in Mark chapter 5, and in that same story, we see that Jesus raises Jairus' daughter back to life, showing that he even has power over death. He is the resurrection. This was what we call a proto-resurrection. It is a revelation of what all of us who are in Christ will one day experience in completeness. We shall be raised. We shall have glorified bodies. And we will never be subject again to weakness or illness or even death. Hallelujah. And all of this is possible for us because Jesus, the all-powerful one, came here as a servant and gave his life for us. Matthew 1.21, we read that Jesus came simply to save people from their sins. Transformation, hear me, is possible only because Jesus came to deal with the deepest problem. It's not the external chains that are binding us or breaking us. It's the internal chains of sin. And Jesus has gloriously dealt with that issue. I love the the, the words of the great hymn by Charles Wesley, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. He pens these words. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. Folks, that is good news. Christ's power is transforming. Christ will transform your life. He'll bring you from death to life. He'll bring you from darkness to life, to light. He's, he's an incredible God, and he doesn't stop there. He'll transform your marriage, your other relationships. I mean, he will make you new from the inside out, and it's incredible. And here's the deal. Not only is he able to do that, I love this about Jesus. He's willing he is willing. I love this. Verse 14. The herdsmen fled and told in the city and the country what had happened. And the people came to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man. Remember, this man was naked, cut up, living in the tombs. And now watch how they find him. The one who had the legion now sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. I don't understand people. Now they're scared of him, right? I want you to get this. This is so powerful. This man whom everyone else avoids, they put him away, is transformed by Jesus in a moment. And you know what this tells me? This is good news for you. Jesus runs to those who others run from. Oh, what a Savior. What a Savior. Remember the religious people, the Pharisees who were mad at Jesus because he went to the drunk and the tax collectors? What is he doing eating with them? Jesus said, oh, this is who I came for. He runs to those who others run from. I love that about our Savior. If you're here and you're not a Christian, I want you to know that if you trust in Christ, he can transform you. And he's willing to transform you just like the man in the story and just like he's transformed me and countless others even in this room today he's not only able but he's willing so we've looked at the devil's ploy and then the lord's power and finally i want to look at the believer's purpose 
after we experience the transforming, saving power of Jesus Christ, do we just put our feet up and grab a bag of Cheetos and wait on Jesus to return? No. We have a mission. Verse 18, it says, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed, Jesus, Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord says, though, that Jesus did not permit it done for you. And how he has had mercy for him and everyone. We tell everyone we can about the saving power of Jesus Christ. I love the story that Kent Hughes tells of a, a, a new ophthalmologist, a gentleman. So he says to the man, he said, listen, I, I want you to meet me at my office tomorrow. I believe I can agree. It's pretty cutting edge that I believe if you will have this, that your sight can be almost fully. But he is able to see. But there's nothing to give you. And I said, everybody, you know, and there are, well, we don't pay God back because every day that we're alive, we're further indebted to his grace. So we can never get ahead. So we don't try to pay him back. We serve him out of love and appreciation for who he is. And so what the Lord bids us to do, just like this man, is listen, don't just become a spiritual hermit. No. After you get out of church, go and tell somebody what the Lord has done for you. Amen? And Brandon, I, I love that you're doing this already on Facebook. You're testifying of what God has done for you. That's what we're to do, every one of us. Well, pastor, I don't have a lot of Bible memorized. Pastor, I don't really understand the 16 fundamental truths. Pastor, I don't understand a lot of theology. It's all right. Just tell people what the Lord has done for you. You'll grow in that knowledge. Because what will happen, you, see, you, you catch this at the end of the text in verse 20. He went away and he, became to, he began to proclaim all that the Lord had done. And everyone marveled. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.